0: You are listening to episode number 30 of Wife Teacher Mommy, the podcast, how to build mental toughness for teachers and students, too. Wondering how you can overcome obstacles and how to model these things for your students? We've got you covered in today's episode. are here listening to Wife Teacher Mommy, the podcast today. I'm your host, Kelsey Sorensen, a former elementary teacher turned homeschool mom. Whether you are a teacher or a homeschool parent, my goal at Wife Teacher Mommy is to provide you with both teaching ideas and mindset tools to help you live your absolute best teacher life. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Now let's go. I'm so excited to be here today on the podcast with another fabulous interview. So as you probably know and have heard of, we have a teacher life coaching program inside Wife Teacher Mommy Club. And that is because I believe that teachers not only need resources to be successful in teaching. Now, as a resource creator, I know you need resources like they help so much, especially with planning and preparation and everything. But I also know there is so much more that goes into teaching. There are so many struggles being put on your plate day in and day out. And teachers, they need some life coaching tools that they can turn to as well when all those stressful times come up. And that is why we have a life coaching program and why Chrissy, our certified life coach, comes in and does workshops with us and open coaching each month. But a special thing I decided to do is to bring in a guest workshop. So we have another life coach coming in. His name is John Osborne, and he is going to be doing a special one-time workshop. And it is only for Wife Teacher Mommy Club members. It is happening on September 8th. And he is a fabulous life coach, as you will learn in today's episode. We're going to be talking all about mental toughness for teachers in today's episode, so much content and it's actually a different topic than what he'll be talking about at this workshop. I just wanted to make sure you knew about the workshop too. But he is fabulous. He was a presenter at Educate and Rejuvenate and people said his talk, which his if you read Educate and Rejuvenate, his was about juggling practice. So juggling glass balls and all the different things in our lives and figuring out how to fit them all in. He talked all about that and our attendees at Educate and Rejuvenate just loved it. So wanted to invite him to come back. His special workshop is going to be High Performance Habits for Teachers and it is going to be September 8th at 6 p.m mountain time. I would love to see you there. And I wanted to bring him on the podcast today so you can get to know him a bit more and also to support everyone who listens here on the podcast, because I know that not everybody who listens is going to join us at the workshop or be in the club. And that's okay. I want to support you whether or not you are in the club or not. So that is why we're doing a full interview today on the podcast sharing so many strategies and mindset tools right here on the podcast that you can apply to your life because we know that you all need it and every teacher needs it. So we made it super accessible today on today's episode. First, let me introduce John for you. So John graduated from the University of Utah in 2017 with a bachelor's in sport and performance psychology. As a professional, John works to continue to improve mental toughness through the use of mental skills. John teaches unforgettable lessons and techniques to help others be more resilient in control and confident. John helped found RJ Performance Group in 2020 and works there as a mental performance coach. He works with Real Salt Lake, Utah State and Westminster Athletics, Legacy Power as well as several high school athletes. Prior to working for RJ Performance Group, John was employed in the education sector working as an administrator at Utah Virtual University. John and his wife Megan live in Utah and they have two daughters, Charlotte and Gigi. Girl dad. And we are so excited to have him today. We're going to be talking about mental toughness for teachers. We will also talk about how as we as teachers learn these self-coaching tools, these skills that we can use to make our lives better, they will not only help ourselves, but they will also help us to be able to change things for the next generation. We can model these tools on how to handle tough situations and model them for the next generation and leave a legacy. So I love how at the end we kind of tied it all in together to a teacher's legacy and how bettering ourselves betters future generations as well. So I just love this interview. They so don't want to take any more time with the intro. So let's go. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Kelsey. Really excited to be here.
0: So before we dive in, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm sure that I'm, I'm a little bit of a different guest, actually. Glad to be here. So I am a mental performance coach. I have a a master's degree in sport and performance psychology. I work at consulting practice with two of my friends from grad school. We started that about two and a half years ago called RJ Performance Group. We just work with athletes and businesses and uh, people dealing with stress and anxiety um, all throughout the state of Utah. You know, We work with the athletes up at Utah State and Weber State, as well as the players out at Real Salt Lake and their developmental teams and things like that. And then a bunch, of, a bunch of high schools throughout the state with the athletics. But then we also work with a ton of uh, businesses, you know, working with the Utah Jazz sales teams and Legacy Power and things like that. And yeah, uh, married. We just, Meg and I just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Pretty awesome. Kind of crazy to think that we made it for 10 years, but uh, it's flown by. Got a couple of kids, uh, Charlotte and Gigi. Gigi just turned two. So now we got a three and a two-year-old and they're a ton of fun. I love being in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, and hiking, and playing sports, and, and all of that. But that's a little bit, uh, a little bit about me.
0: That is awesome. And you know how you you mentioned that you help like these athletes with all the anxiety and pressures they're feeling. But you know all of these teachers, they're feeling that too.
1: Big time. Yeah, that's why, why I mentioned you know my degree being in a sport and performance psychology because a lot of times people you know people call a sports psychologist, which isn't true. I'm not a psychologist, and I don't just deal in sport. You know, but of the things is pretty paramount going through my program and then just living life is how many of these things are um, experienced by so many and uh and particularly teachers if you think about what they've been dealing with i mean truly past couple years have been something else but if we even like just took that away these same things are have they been they've been dealing with for like years and years right it's not this isn't like a a new thing because of COVID-19. And so yeah, they deal they deal with quite a lot and so it's been it's been awesome to be able to kind of go back into the education world and share some of these things but now with like a different hat on someone where it's like hey, we can we can talk openly and I can share some of this stuff. You know, we're no longer coworkers anymore, so it's it received a little better.
0: Yeah. So what is your background in education? So you mentioned like going back to the classroom.
1: Yeah. So I have a kind of an extensive background education and probably not nearly as extensive as, as people think. And so maybe I can't use that word extensive. But man, I have been in schools in so many different capacities for such a long time. While I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and throughout my grad degree, I was subbing all the time, and which was uh, eye-opening to what teachers deal with every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so that was that was really, really cool. I'll never, ever, ever, for the rest of my life, I will never, ever step into a seventh grade boys choir class <laughs> ever again. Not gonna su- subject myself to that. You know, when I, me- I remember when I got that job, and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm a boy. I've been in seventh grade. I remember actually being in seventh grade boys choir, and I was like, yeah, my t- we're just gonna plug in the movie. I know that's the case, and that was true. I showed up. That was the lesson plan. Plug in the movie, and I did, and they were just like all over the place, and some of that just. <laughs> Most rambunctious, full of energy. And I'm like, never do that again. And then while I was, while I was finishing up my grad degree, kind of interesting, or it was actually right after I graduated with my bachelor's, I uh, was looking for a job. I graduated in in December. I'm one of those graduates. And so I wasn't starting my grad degree until September. And so I was like, I got nine months of something to do. And so I just, you know, took to job boards and I'm like, I'm just going to go work anywhere. At that point, we thought maybe we might move to California to go to Fresno State. So I was like I don't want, you know, don't want anything that I'm going to commit to long term and I actually found a job as a testing coordinator at an online charter school, Utah Virtual Academy. And they had their office in Murray and they had about, you know, about 2000 students throughout the state and uh, my job was to plan, organize, schedule, arrange end of year state testing for them, which Was a lot, you know, from, for so many people throughout the state. Like it wasn't like we had a location, but particularly what it was is like I was responsible for getting a lot of equipment to all these places. So I actually went to a bunch of testing sites to see the amount of like anxiety that students were dealing with testing. And these are all students who've done work from home. And so there's the, you know, the social aspect, but obviously just the general, you know, testing atmosphere and how anxiety riddled that can be. And then watching our teachers, you know, in those months of March, April, May, more April of May at the end of the school year and just listening to them, talking to them, hearing their experiences. So I thought I was just going to be done after nine months. And then school turned out we ended up being going to school at the University of Utah. So we stayed here in Salt Lake. And I thought, I was like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I can try and do both of these things. So I, I tried to be full time grad student and full time worker. Which, and I guess I said, try, I was successful at it. I did that. And it was hard and stretched me in lots of different ways. As I was finishing up my two-year master's degree, my boss approached me. And was like, Hey, I know what you've been studying, group behavior and managing anxiety and things like that. And our leadership team is kind of a, a little bit of a mess, not, not a full on mess. I'm not sure those were her words. She's like, I would love if you would, if you would stick around and be our operations manager. So join our admin team. And I guess you shouldn't say it those ways because that, that sounds like that was the job offer, but it was like, Hey, will you, will you apply? Or, you know, if you're interested, I'd love for you to apply. So I talked about with Meg, and it was just a total departure from what I'd learned in sports psychology, I thought. And so I was like, Meg, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, that's a big, like, what have what have I just done for the past two years then? Like, I feel like I've kind of wasted it a little bit. Pretty naive of me to think that I would have wasted that realizing how impactful it was in education. So I, I applied and, and was offered the job. And so I joined the State of Utah Virtual Academy as an operations manager. So one of their admin teams. So still very involved in, in end-of-year testing. But also added things like state reporting, systems access, materials, equipment, just increased the amount of things I did. But what I also did was it allowed me a place on our leadership team where I was involved in discussions about teachers and what they were dealing with. And and I was much more integrated in the lives of our teachers. And it wasn't just like an end of year. Oh, there's John. I was there, you know, kind of every day getting calls from exasperated parents and the frustrations that they were dealing with. Anyway, so I did that for about three years and then made the jump all time to sport and performance psychology, but I couldn't get the experiences of our teachers out of my head so often. It wasn't the reason that I that I changed careers was because I was like sick or tired of education. What I realized is that my my passion, my abilities wasn't so much on the day-to-day mundane that the teachers deal with but was about you know teaching and coaching and trying to help teachers deal with that daily grind and how frustrating that is. and so, Yeah, after a little experience with burnout in my job, I fortunate enough to be able to you know have some conversation, like I said, have those friendships from grad school, and uh, and started RJ Performance Group. We've been we've been going for about two and a half years now, and at every turn, I'm looking for opportunities, and I've been surprised at the amount of opportunities there have been to come back and intersect with the lives of teachers, and I'm I'm happy to do every single time.
0: I love that, and I love how you kind of mentioned. You know, you've gone more into coaching, that's your passion, but you still like, can't get the teachers out of your mind. And I can totally see that. Like, you know, when you approach me and you're like, hey, I would love to help your teachers. And, you know, we both presented at Show Up for Teachers put on by Utah First Lady Abby Cox. You can just tell how much you just love helping teachers. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you're so passionate about helping them?
1: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it's been. I just feel like I've been connected to them for so many years, even even the ones like I wasn't aware of. You know, two of my sisters, two of my older sisters were, were classroom teachers, one in elementary school and one in, in secondary. And then Megan, my wife, is, you know, a teacher and aunts, uncles. And so I think it's just always been like that background. But like I remember, I remember being eight years old, going and helping my sister like set up her classroom. You know, and the only reason I did it then was because, you know, she was going to buy me pizza after. And I'm like, oh, that's a great deal. You know, for sure I'll do that, right? Right. And now I'm realizing that my sister had to, out of her contract, she was like responsible for going and setting up her classroom, like her space. She didn't get paid for that, but like we put a ton of work into it. I know she put even more work than we did. All for the experience of the students entering her classroom, right? And that's what I admire so much about teachers is their willingness to go like above and beyond for someone else's experience, right? Their experience of education. A student walking their classroom, they're going to experience education and they go above and beyond for that experience. And so I think that's just why I'm so passionate because I, I respect that so much anytime I see it. You know, I, I respect that in a in a high school student who goes and above and beyond and stays after practice to get shots up. I admire, you know, the mom who, you know, stays up late to uh, finishing touches on a costume that is done Earlier, right? But she stays up late just to put a, a couple things together because they know their their child would appreciate that. Like, I, I really admire that above and beyond attitude, and it's something that I resonate with, and I, it kind of speaks to me. And so I just that's why I love, and it. it's so easy to give back to teachers, is because I've seen that for so many years. You know, I saw that with Megan all the time as some tech singer at four thirty and five. Like, Where are you at? <laughs>
0: Megan's amazing.
1: I just had to get this ready for my classroom. And I'm like, why? Like, I met your seventh graders. They're the worst. You know, <laughs> but like, you know, she just goes above and beyond because she like, genuinely cares. And I know at some point that fire and fuel of helping, helping kids, I know at some point I'm going to find myself in, in a classroom. Subbing was, was honestly probably one of the more fun jobs of my life. You know, I had to find the right, the right classroom or whatever. But my favorite classroom by far was, was teaching sewing at Bingham High School. It was so much fun to be in that classroom and I just connected so well with them. And, and in my work now, I, I connect really well with our with our high school athletes. And So I know at some point I'm going to find my way into a classroom, you know, and so if I can be doing anything to be helping change maybe some of the, the teacher culture and the teacher identity to make, you know, make it better than when I planned it, I think.
0: For sure. So what advice do you have for teachers who feel like they're juggling a million different roles? Like maybe, maybe they're trying to go above and beyond, maybe a little more than they have the capacity to do, and they're juggling a million different roles and struggling to manage it all. What is your advice to them?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really, really big one, right? Because that's part of their identity. And that's where I think I'd, I'd start. And maybe that just seems like too much of a lift to start in. But recognize they're more than just a teacher. Like it'll become an, an incredible part of their identity and, and it should be, right That's a valuable and an admirable thing to have as part of your identity. But I think that some teachers really like hang their hat on the fact that they stay late. And that's just that's kind of a silly thing to hang your hat on because what you're doing is you're, you're hanging your hat on burnout. Because that's like, a, that's kind of a, sh- a sure path. Everyone's got to stay late at their job at some point, right? We all, we all work crazy hours at some point to get certain things done. But, uh, one of the things that I, that I see a lot with teachers is that I did because they are juggling so many things. They feel like, well, I can't, if I don't stay late today, then like my tomorrow is going to be crazier. But the truth is, tomorrow is going to be crazier anyway. So you can you can stay late and work your tail off today, but tomorrow there's going to be a whole host of other things. Not to get too like theoretical or philosophical here, but I think that's actually one of the things that has driving teachers out and have run into our teachers with or issues with like teacher pay and whatnot is that for the longest time the powers that be recognize that they're getting free labor from our teachers. Mm-hmm. But my advice to teachers would be to not try to manage it all. To be really intentional about the things that you want to manage. A lot of teachers that I talk with and, and that I worked with, and I remember my, I was myself when I was working at Utah Virtual Academy, is that my definition of success was, you know, whether I checked everything off my to-do list, you know, and to-do lists are, are an awesome organizational strategy and they're a really, really great way of, of to do some easy goal setting and, and to identify and be productive. And I, and I get that. Uh, so I'm not saying don't make a to-do list, but if we judge our success, and our definition of success is whether or not we check everything off our to-do list. Well, then, then what we're going to do is, is instead of actually moving in any direction or make any progress in our in our classroom or you know with our students, all we're going to be doing is just trying to check things off a list. And if I think it, if something isn't on the list, I'm not going to do it. I remember that a lot. Like I'd you know I'd come home from work and Meg was asking, "Hey, well, how was your day?" And I'd be like, "Well, Meg, it was awesome. Like I I I wrote 20 things on my to-do list and I crossed all of them off." And, you know, that was somehow like a success. So, you know, I think my advice to teachers would be to change what your definition of success is, you know, to pick one or two important things that day that are important that day. This is what's kind of interesting and important is some of them might be in your classroom. One of those important things might be a particular student. but One of those important things might be a parent. Maybe it's a relationship with team teacher or a co-teacher, you know, or someone in your pod or group or PLC, but pick one or two of those like important things and let your focus and let those things guide your actions for that day. Focus on those. And, And of course you'll do other things because it's not like we're, you know, we won't, we won't be doing other things, but you dictate and you judge, you know, your day on your progress in those areas, not on the outcome of those areas, right? Not on, whether I accomplished and, and I can cross those two things off my to-do list, you know, but judge whether or not that's you made the progress that you did in those two areas. I think sometimes teachers have a pretty skewed definition of like what success is. And I say skewed because I think many of them end each day thinking that today wasn't successful. And I don't think that's true at all. And so if we, yeah. can, if we can change each day, You know, I I can't tell you the evidence or the impact I've seen on a team on a winning streak. You know, a team, you know, been involved with lots of different sports teams. You know, when they're, when they're four and oh, they're feeling a type of way and maybe normally under normal circumstances, they don't win that fifth game. But because they've, because they're four and oh, they increase their odds of being five and oh, you know, I know uh, Kyle Whittingham, the head coach at the U, it's it's his phrase of, you know, what's the best thing about being four and oh? Is the chance to be five and zero? In you the know, they say that almost every year, and I think about that a lot. Is we have teachers who are actually one and zero, you know, two and zero, three and zero. If they had a different definition of success, but because they're so hard on themselves, or because they didn't cross everything their to do list, or because you know someone disagreed with them, or because a student didn't turn in their work, or maybe they didn't get you know they didn't get everything graded that they wanted to, they somehow were like well today was a failure, but today was a total failure which is just like not even close to right. right? And, if, but, and, and if, you, if you do that day after day, that just becomes so draining for you. That would be the one thing that I say to teachers is to change your definition of success and allow by doing so you'll allow yourself to be a little bit more successful.
0: Are you enjoying this episode of the podcast? If so, you will love the life coaching program inside Wife Teacher Mommy Club. You will get to join us in two to three live group coaching calls on Zoom every single month. We'll pick a new topic for our workshop for our first call every month, and then have an open call or two where members can bring their own questions. Every call will be available for replay on the members-only private podcast, so you can get more coaching via on-the-go podcast form just like this. Plus, you will have access to our Ask a Coach page, where you can submit your own questions anytime for all your teacher's struggles, big or small. The Life Coaching alone is worth the small $29.99 a month fee. I promise you won't find Life Coaching for this price anywhere else. Plus, you'll get access to our entire teaching resource library of over $4,000 worth of resources and growing every single month. Go to teachyourlifecoaching.com to learn more about the Life Coaching inside the club. Yes, I am so passionate about this topic too. And I just feel like teachers, they put so much pressure on themselves. And, and I mean, I find myself doing this too. I find like, you know, in work, it's easy to be like, oh, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. But what if instead you like look at your wins each day and you're like, I did this and I did that and kind of go from that momentum, kind of like you talked about with the sports. It's like, if you're four and oh, you're that close to five and oh, it's about gaining that momentum of, each day, like at the end of the day, you're like, write things you did do, like your to-do list instead of your to-do list. And, you know, it just kind of grows. So I, I really love that.
1: One of the root causes, I think, is the negativity that exists in our in our world and our society right now. And so one of the, the quickest ways, I think, to kind of start changing things around and changing your outlook and your your outcomes by being a little bit more, I won't say positive, but a little more productive. In the way you talk to yourself, and sometimes I think that productivity needs to be positive. You know, I know a lot of realists, or we are people who are skeptical about the role of positivity. You know, but I think think the negative culture that we live in has led to what's you know being known as a negativity bias. You know, one of the best ways that I've I've heard a negativity bias described. Is if I and I maybe the reason heard, I think it's the best because like I felt it, I've seen it, but I, I think this is so common for teachers not to project on them. But I just I've seen it a lot. Is when we make a to do list of ten items, right, and we accomplish eight of those items, and then on our drive home from work, you know, all we're doing is thinking about the two we didn't get done, right, and that's you know that's a negativity bias, right, of of a recognition or an obsession upon the things that we didn't do. And by its nature, there should always be things that we didn't do, you know, because our list is infinite, but our time is finite. So there should always be things that we didn't do. But because of negativity bias, we kind of flip flop and and just see that as, as failure when I just see that as a natural consequence of time.
0: That's such a good point. I hadn't thought of like a natural consequence of time, right? It is finite. So yeah, that's really smart. And I feel like a lot of this has to do with like, you know, teacher's mentality or just people's mentality in general. And, you know, when you are thinking negatively and just like beating yourself up, like the circumstances are the same either way. It's more like your outlook on them. So is there anything else related to like mentality or resilience or grit that you think teachers deal with on a daily basis?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Man, they, they deal with so much, you know, they themselves as the person I think they deal with a lot of things out of their control you know the the people you know the teacher teachers are so good at dealing with things on the fly because well kind of they naturally have to be you know but you know I, I, I say all the time that you know two words that I use to describe mental toughness is adaptability and flexibility and I think those are two words that are you know almost synonymous with teaching you know the ability to Adapt to uh, to new students, to be flexible, to you know, ever changing policies and whatnot. You know, so I think there are there are a lot of things out of teachers' control. Which, when when that's the case, it can become really anxiety riddling and really easy to focus on all these things out of your control. You know, the decisions being made, the policies, your admin, your class size. You know, sometimes what subject you're teaching, right? Mm-hmm. and you know the ones making those decisions above them and you know I you know emphasize this point because having been on the admin side like I get it a little bit, you know the ones making those decisions you know their admin um, you know typically are working with like millions of dollars right you know, they, you know they're given a budget of, of 15 million dollars or whatever and so they're making those decisions based on that amount of money rather than on like what would be best for teachers. Right. And, and because it's the money that's what's going to get a newspaper article written about them. You know, we, we used to have a joke about that at Utah Virtual Academy about, uh, you know, executing everything we did financially just so we wouldn't end up in the paper, you know, and so, so I, I get, you know, I get that, right? You know, no, no, no principal, no vice principal wants to be, you know, the subject of a Chris Jones investigation. Right. And so, you know, they make decisions about, you know, the use of funds and what they think is best to do with this money. And not what's best for teachers. Um, you know, I know a lot of ad, you know, I know a lot of admin care. Of course, they care what, about teachers, but I think there's some fear on that opposite end. So I think there seem to be a lot of things out of their control, and so it requires a lot of grit and a lot of resilience and a lot of focus to you know keep your attention on what is in your control. I think for the teachers listening, they're going to they probably already feel it, but if you just if you just think back to most staff lunch tables during the during the lunch, you know, half hour, which is just baffling the, the short amount <laughs> of time they get for lunch, but we don't need to comment on that.
0: It's not always even a half hour.
1: <laughs> well it, yeah. Exactly. It, it's a half hour uh, of clock time, right? But then you got a right. student who stays five minutes after and then you gotta be back to your Yeah, so your your lunch is like fifteen minutes. Shocking. Absolutely shocking what we do to teachers. Most staff lunch rooms, you know, or where they get together tends to be pretty negative. And o- only because only because a lot like we're, we're there to talk about and, we, and some of it's spent ink, you know, and that can be good. But what ends up happening is the topics of those things tend to be things out of our control. And when we focus on things out of our control, it leads to a little bit of negativity and it leads to a lot or a lot of frustration, you know, because what we focus on expands, right? So if I focus on things out of my control, it's going to expand, and all of a sudden, I'm going to feel like everything is out of out of my control. So I think they deal with the need for some resilience every single day because of the of the things out of their control. But they also deal they deal with the opportunity to you know reshift and change change their focus because, like I said, what you focus on expands. So if you focus on all the things in your control, even even when there there don't seem to be very many. But you, you focus on the things in your control. Those will expand and you'll start realizing, like, well, wow, there's, I, I can actually influence and make an impact in a lot of different areas. Like, yeah, I can't do that, but I'm not going to focus on that. Instead, I'm going to focus on right here in front of me. It becomes so much more fun to do whatever you're doing, right? It's so much more fun in the classroom. So much more, more fun at work. Um, so much more fun in your family, right? And so I think they, they deal with that a lot. I think also on a daily basis. So, so now no longer them, but their students. I think that they they deal a ton with children, and I mean, all, of all ages, even eighteen year old children, and their um, perceptions of failure. One of the things that I've noticed and kind of a little startling to me, and maybe not, maybe it shouldn't be that that startling, but it is to me. Working working in high schools with high school teams and athletes is what these amateur, what these teenagers, what their relationship is with failure. And that failure is truly the absolute worst outcome that could be experienced. And so I think they, they're learning that early on, you know, these are, these are things elementary school teachers are facing as well and continues up through, through middle and high school is children experience things, things with tests, with friends, with assignments, with learning in general, where they are establishing what their relationship is with failure and what they, their perception of failure is. So I think, I think teachers have like such a tremendous role in helping students and helping people change their definition and their perception of like what failure is and what failure means and not something that should be, be shied away from. But I think students in their classroom deal with some type of failure every single day. And, and so teachers kind of deal with the fallback of that. And how do I, you know, how do I respond? How do I, how do I help them when they didn't, you know, didn't succeed? You know, how do I help them learn and build like a healthy relationship with failure?
0: Yes. And I think this is really kind of a result of like our society in general. You know, we're talking about like teachers are in the like, you know, they have these negative thought patterns, but it's not teachers. It's people in general. It's anyone who has a human brain. And even you and I who like no coaching tools and stuff, we find ourselves doing this, too. And it's like, you know, bringing awareness to it and learning what to do about it. So I think that when teachers, they kind of, you know, learn how to do this themselves then they can also help the next generation right. to be able to improve that as well and then maybe over time like more parents and educators and just adults in general can model that for children i think that will just make a huge difference
1: yeah i totally agree yeah i totally agree and modeling it modeling is so huge right there's there's only so much you know a like picture paints a thousand words right like there's only so much that i can say if i'm modeling you know if i'm modeling something differently you know and i'm not sure how often in, in like a school setting students observe a teacher's experience of failure. Mm -hmm. But I, I think they're definitely, it's definitely there. But, but one of the things I think is, is so cool and, and available for teachers to be able to do is, is kind of like help a, help a student like walk through and understand like what it's like to fail and pick themselves up. And like, here's, Here's how to lessen this failure next time. Here's what we can learn from it, and truthfully, here's why it's good. You know, here's why it's good that uh, that you learn you learned this lesson now. You know, and uh, you know, I talk all the time about failure being a good thing, but we just want to you know lessen or decrease the number of times we learn the same lesson. You know, some lessons are really really big, and so they require us to learn it time and time again, and that you know that's okay. You know, but if we can learn each lesson only once, you know, that we can try and fail and then try again and fail at something different and then we can learn and then try something else and fail at something different and i think that's what uh, what the, the greatest have always done you know the greatest teachers the greatest performers the greatest you know scientists the greatest minds have just failed and then failed better the next time
0: absolutely and a lot of it really does start like with your mindset and your thoughts yeah. and your self taught and so what are some of the ways that teachers can help the way a child talks to themselves
1: yeah. Oh, well. Wow. Like so big. And I think the biggest thing they could do is just help bring some awareness or help help them recognize it. And, you know, I think teachers in elementary school can do this in such a fun way. One of my favorite ways, um, and it works really, really well. It works really, really well with everybody, but like young kids love it. And it's just like a kind of a two claps idea. You know, that anytime we hear hear something negative, we just kind of give two claps, right? And then Cause it helps bring some awareness of like what we, what we just said is a little bit negative, you know, or it could be reframed to be a little bit more positive or productive. But I think the best thing we can do is just help them become a little, a little aware of the things that they're saying. Um, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities for it. You know, research says that over, over 75% of all of our thoughts each day are negative. And then that actually jumps up to over 95% during you know competition or challenging times so during you know during a test during an evaluation that our negativity jumps up that far and so the best thing i think we be able to we can do is to to learn to help them um, help them recognize that and give them give them the opportunity and the ability to state things differently you know and learn learn to do that because that because that needs to happen you know recognizing my negativity isn't always enough but a lot of times I like now as an adult I need to be able to change you know the way that I think right and so I got to have some awareness but then some opportunities to be like okay well you know here's a better way to think about that and one of my favorite phrases is that's not necessarily true and I I use that all the time to change my change my self-talk the like kind of a silly example of like playing playing basketball and it's like you know, miss, missing a bunch of shots and it's like man I, I can't seem to make anything today. You know, or just like, man, I'm the worst shooter. We catastrophize, or right? I reuse those, um, those superlative, superlative examples. And so I just love that phrase. Well, that's not necessarily true, John, Like, you're not the worst shooter in the world. You know, like, I'm sure there's someone worse, you know, and I, I won't get into comparison, but like, yeah, that guy's worse, right? But like,
0: <laughs> we don't need to put someone down to feel better about ourselves. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly, right? You know, think back to my, my time in school and some of the things that were like, most, you know, were hardest for me is I remember being in in seventh grade algebra and feeling like I didn't belong there, which I think is partially true. And I think I, my good graces of a sixth grade teacher who was like, John, you need to be with these people. You know, she put me in she put me in a class with with the people that I needed to be in and not so much because my math was not there. I remember Mr. Davies, Joel P. Jensen Middle School teaching us. I don't remember what he was teaching us, but I remember it was like a pretty elementary like algebra idea. And I remember he explained it to me like three or four times. And I probably had just like the blankest look on my face. <laughs> and I remember, I remember like thinking to myself, like, Dude, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get this. You know, he kept believing in me, right? What a good opportunity for a teacher to be like, you know, I, I know I said that out loud. Like, I, I you know, I, it wasn't like I was keeping those thoughts to myself for a teacher to be able to be like, well, hey, John, that's not necessarily true. You know, what what might be true is that you're having a hard time with this, but it's not true that you're never going to get this. You know, because what, what Mr. Davies did encourage me to do was to, was to come in, you know, during lunch and work on it in a quiet place. I love that. He didn't even invite me into like eat lunch or like to work during lunch where he would help me. He invited me into his classroom so I'd have a quiet place to do it. And I, I respect him so much for that because, you know, it wasn't like he guided me, you know, led me by the hand. He made me struggle. I remember multiple times and I, this was like multiple days in a row. That I would like, you know, come in there, do my algebra homework, and I'd like take it over to him to see if I got it right. And he's like, nope, that's not right. he point he point out the mistakes. And he's like, remember, you know, these are the rules or whatever. And just like, then he'd send me back to the desk or back to the table and like make, make me work on it. And so I remember there, there was just like a lot of negativity for me about my belief in my own abilities, right? Lots of things that I can't do. I can't get this concept. I can't understand math. I don't belong in this class. Things like that. And that phrase, you know, that's not necessarily true, you know, becomes so meaningful. I think a lot of students are really quick to do that as well of just, uh, jump to the superlatives, jump to the catastrophes of it's always this way. I'm never going to do this. And none of those things are very true. You know, my, my bachelor's degree was in economics, which I don't, I don't remember much about economics, but a lot of, uh, what I do remember is, you know, that things are rarely always and never. I'm certain that I passed some some of my uh, intro to economics classes because you know it'd be a true or false question, and the question would say something something is always this way, and I I didn't know what that something 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 was, but I do remember that things were rarely always and never, and so I could make that's false because it's not always you know and not never, and that that's been so important for me. And our self-talk because we are so quick to make final judgment on everything. And even in the positive, right? That I, I make one shot, I do like a little fire. I'm never going to miss, right? So, well, that's not necessarily true. Like you got to, you got to work hard I and mean, you still got to get open. You still got to take good shots, like all of that, right? You know, I'm never, I'm never going to get this concept. Well, that's not necessarily true, but maybe, you know, maybe what is true is that you need to put a little extra work in, you know, or, or that may not be true, but uh, with a little bit of effort, you could, you could get it down. Um, and so I think they, the teachers shape and, and help a child learn to talk to themselves by helping them understand what's true and what's not. One of the things that's so, so hard for me is when I see our class sizes and I know it's not true at every school, you know, some schools are different and limit and, and they emphasize, you know, class sizes or whatever. But I, you know, in some of these public schools, like have such, such high numbers in their classes, you know, 30, 35 students. And what the reason why that that is hard for me because it leaves such little time for one-on-one work between a teacher and a student, which I know teachers agree with, but I think that's such a good time. It's hard to you know challenge or question a you know student or tell them, hey, that's not necessarily true in front of the whole group, right? Sometimes that can be done and, and should be, but I think sometimes it's you know quite a quiet question of recognizing the body language on one of your students and be like, hey, Johnny, tell me, like, tell me what you're thinking right now. You know, and and allowing Johnny to express like like teach. I just don't think I'm gonna ever gonna get this. And then if our teacher would be like, well, that's not necessarily true, Johnny. You know, but but tell me what is true. And you know, getting them and allowing them to express that like I just don't understand it right now, and that is true. I know you don't understand it right now. But Don't you understand that right now will not be always. Mm-hmm. And you know, through through your hard work, through your effort, like you can get this but it just might be a little bit harder for you. But that's not a reason to not try. Anyway, so I just I think just some of those those things, those conversations are so much better had one on one. So so impactful, that gets me a little little bummed when I see the number of students um, to just decreases the allowance for one on one time.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, it's such a challenge for teachers, some of these class sizes, I agree. But yeah, as we talked about, we may not be able to change that, right? So it's like, it was like, what do we do about it? We can still like, you know, like you mentioned, try to do the best we can given the situation. So I love that. And I love how you talked about how Mr. Davies, how he helped you and how he empowered you. And you still remember that to this day. And I think that's oh, yeah. just such a powerful thing. And I agree. Small world, John and I went to the same schools and <laughs> I had Mr. Davies as a teacher, too. He was fabulous. So, I mean, your students, once they're grown adults, they remember these little things, these little conversations. Like, you know, you tell them that's not necessarily true. And they're like, oh, that's like a tool I can use. And maybe they continue using that throughout their lives. So I think when teachers empower themselves by learning these things themselves and then pass it on to their students, because you can't teach them what you don't know. Right. So when you do that, you are empowering yourself and then you're empowering the next generation of children. So I think it's just so important that our teachers learn these like high performance habits that you've been talking about. And then they're able to model those for their students. I think that's just so powerful.
1: Yeah, so powerful. And, and you know, that phrase, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we, we, we just spent a few minutes talking about its impact on students. But you're, you're absolutely right, Kelsey, like there are so many things that teachers say to themselves aren't necessarily true, right? It's not, it's not like children are the only ones that play this, this finality. Oh game. no. And that you know, teachers are so, so prompts to, to do similarly. And uh, yeah, if we can, if we can learn and make that a habit ourselves uh, and learn by like, question, like, well, that's not necessarily true, you know, or, you know, not yet. You know, one of the things I think is so, so eye opening. you know, at least when I, when I talk about it with people, they seem like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it is understanding like where we're at in our, in our own personal story that finality mindset makes it so we always feel like, or that finality mindset is prevalent when we feel like we are in the final chapter, right? Because if I'm reading a book and I'm in the final chapter and they're like just starting the, you know, the final battle or, you know, the climate, like, okay, well they almost have to be setting it up for a sequel, right? Like that's where I go in my head, right? It's like, there's not enough time to tell this. And I think a lot of teachers do that. And uh, people, people do that. The teachers do that as well. When something goes wrong, we think we're in the final chapter. And it's like, well, there's not time to fix that. So this must just be. And that's not true. I tell people all the time, understand where you're at in your story. And that, you know, we're not, this isn't the final chapter. Like this is actually just like chapter two or three, you know, and this is that part where the hero transcends or or goes down and experiences some setback, loses their aunt and uncle you know, Harry lo- Harry lost his parents, right? You know, they, they experienced that down so that they can they can climb back up again.
0: And that was the very beginning of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, the very beginning. And so, just understanding that, you know, understanding where you're at in your story, and that it's not uh, it's not final. Uh, you know, this is necessary for your story to be really, really good.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree, 100 percent with all of that. And I think just empowering the teachers to know these tools so they can see that themselves. Yeah, so what do you think high-performance habits that teachers need to learn themselves before they can model this for their students?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the reasons doing this workshop for you guys on September 8th and kind of the purpose of it is, you know, I remember being in education and, you know, experiencing some of those really hard things or it's even from afar watching them with teachers. And then I left and started spending a bunch of time with these really, really high-performing athletes or businessmen and women, doctors, nurses who are like doing impressive things. And you start recognizing and noticing some habits a lot of people have. And so I just started melding those two worlds. You know, that's where this workshop comes from is thinking about some of the struggles that teachers teachers have in the classroom and that they're asked to do for our society. And then looking at some of those high performance habits of these high performing individuals and just sharing some of those, you know, those ideas about ways to stay present, focusing things, you know, in your control, learning to manage and change your you know your self-talk and whatnot. So that's really what the workshop on the eighth is is all about is learning some very specific and easy ways that you can change and help yourself become a high performer. And that high performer, you know, sometimes we think of our high performers as like professional athletes. And what they'll get, right? High performing athletes, professional athletes. Yeah, they make a ton of money. That's not uh, like the greatest benefit that they receive. And it's a great benefit. Don't get me wrong. But the ability to be a high performer bleeds into every area of your life and makes things more enjoyable. You know, there are a bunch of people who make a ton of money that uh, don't have high performance habits. They got high performance, you know, athleticism or ability or skill. But they don't have those high performance habits and they don't really enjoy what they do. They have a hard time. And I think this is all about enjoying more what we do, feeling more in control and learn learning how to talk to myself and how to how to change the way I talk to myself when things get difficult.
0: Oh, John, I cannot wait for this workshop. <laughs> it's going to be so good.
1: Yeah, it's it's gonna be awesome. And I and I offer a little bit of like a a unique perspective that I hope people appreciate, you know, I'm not going to talk too much, you know, about, about school. Instead, I'm going to talk a, lo- a lot about the the environment that I'm in now and the ways, the ways that I think we can take this into classroom or take this into teachers' lives, just like, you know, they're the high performer they actually are, you know? And so hopefully, you know, those, those attendants will appreciate, appreciate that format and and really feel like they're getting coached well.
0: Yes. And I'm absolutely sure they will because the Educate and Rejuvenate, everyone was like, I loved John's session. Oh, that's so nice. That was our summer conference a few months ago. But now you have the opportunity to hear from John again. He is doing this workshop. If you are a member of Wife Teacher Mommy Club, make sure you come. If you're not, come and join us. It's going to be such a great time. And you can just go to wifeteachermommyclub.com and sign up and we have lots of great workshops we're having this one with John we have our coach Chrissy who does coaching quite often so make sure to check it out and learn a little bit more and dm me on instagram if you have any questions i'm happy to answer any of them and also if you would like to connect with John John can you tell us a little bit about more about where listeners can find you or learn more about what you do
1: yeah yeah please do yeah yeah come check out our check out our website www.rjpg.net and then you, yeah, follow us, uh, follow us on Instagram. It's at RJ Performance Group. If you're looking to, you feel more personal with me. Um, you know, my Instagram handle is at JAUSI Psych. Aussie's, you know, Aussie's a nickname of mine. People have called me for years and years. And so yeah, at JAUSI Psych. But yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to connect with, uh, with some of your listeners and connect and hear their, you know, their issues and, and what, what I can help with or some of the challenges they face. You know, I tell all the time that I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I don't charge by the hour. <laughs> you know or the, the, the 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 clock doesn't start you know as as soon as the phone phone picks up so yeah shoot me a dm if there's anything i can help with like i'm happy to I'm happy to get to you when I can and, and, uh, and help however I can.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you so much, John, for coming on the podcast today. For those of you who are members, make sure to attend the workshop on September 8th. And right now, you don't even have to wait. Hop over to the Members Only podcast for some additional fun questions and just a little a little bit of a deeper dive over there. So we'll see you over there. And if not, we will talk to you next time. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're ready to take the next step with me, then you are going to love Wife Teacher Mommy Club. Our top selling resources for pre-K through sixth grades have been used and loved by tens of thousands of teachers. And the club gives you one-click access to all of them to meet the needs of every child you teach while saving tons of time. Plus, you'll have our certified life coach in your back pocket with several monthly workshops and an Ask a Coach portal you can use 24-7. The combo of resources and coaching is our secret sauce to your best teacher life. Think of my team and I as your personal team, doing the lesson planning for you and on the sidelines coaching you and cheering you on as you focus on what you do best, impacting the children you teach. Plus, if you're loving this podcast... You'll also have access to our private podcast, Just for Members, where I continue the conversation with all of our guests with members-only bonus episodes. And don't forget the club with VIP access to Educate and Rejuvenate, our summer conference, and our private Facebook community full of like-minded educators supporting each other. You do so much for everyone else, so it's time to invest in yourself. Your teacher friends' jaws will drop when they see just how quickly you finish your planning not to mention the glow of the happier more fulfilled you head on over to wife teacher to learn more